So quite a bit during this last month or so as we've been going through this series, I've been asking myself the question, what if, a lot, not just about the Bible, which is what we're doing here, but about my own life because it's an interesting question to ask. What if things had gone a little bit differently? What if this event hadn't come to pass the way that it came to pass? I, I always wonder, like, what if my mom had not signed me up for show choir auditions behind my back in high school? Because as silly as that is, it ended up changing the course of my life. If I didn't do that, maybe I'd be like a professional French horn player in Iowa right now or something. I don't know. Or what if after I dropped out of college, if I didn't go and live in Kenya for a year? I mean, it's possible if I hadn't done that, that there's a, there's a, a world where I wouldn't even be in ministry or maybe not even a follower of Jesus right now. So wow, that, that changed my life. Any number of small changes here or there, uh, if they didn't happen, I mean, I never would have met Olivia. Uh, love you. My wife is right here. Uh, I love uh, her, and that's great. And then, uh, <laughs> and who knows? I mean, I, I might not have gone into ministry. I might not have traveled the world. And, and I'm sure you could do the same thing in your life, right? You look back, you think through all these little crucial events, big or small, that just changed things and led to where you are today. And yes, there are some that are, that are sad. What if we hadn't lost this person? Or what if this thing hadn't happened to me? But more often than not, I imagine that as you think back on your life and, think, and ask what if, what it really does is it gives you new appreciation or even gratitude for the fact that things turned out the way that they did, that things did happen. And that is what we hope is gonna happen today when we ask a pretty big question, what if Jesus never died? What if he didn't die on that cross? Like, how would our world be different today if that event had just never happened? Or, or another way to ask it is, okay, what happened at 6 p.m. on the original Good Friday that actually changed our world, our reality? What if it hadn't happened? Uh, so that's what we're gonna talk about today. First, a couple of quick confessions, or I don't know, confessions is probably strong. Uh, this is Palm Sunday, and so we are breaking protocol because we are not talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. There are no palm branches, other than we just realized that the background, I don't even know if this is on purpose, has palm branches. So if you are coming to church today looking for palm branches, that's them. So enjoy. Um, Second thing is, normally when I am preaching, I'll, I'll pick one particular passage and then I'll have you open your Bible and, and have that in front of you and then we just go super deep into one passage. Today, kind of breaking the rules, I'm not gonna do that because this topic is so broad and so far-reaching that we're actually gonna kind of be all over the Bible. So if you really want to flip along and, and go with me through this journey, you can. Uh, or if you just wanna turn to Romans 8, we'll get there eventually. Um, but otherwise, all the passages are gonna be up on the screen as I'm talking. So, uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and get back to this big question. What if Jesus never died? What actually happened on the cross. Now, most of the time when we talk about this, talk about the crucifixion, we have a pretty simple, basic answer that we can give, and it's something to the effect of Jesus died for our sins, right? That's a pretty simple answer, and, and it's true, but the problem with that, that answer in a vacuum is that it doesn't really help us understand the why behind it. Like, it, like why, why was the, the one who died a, a Jewish man 2,000 years ago? Or what does, a, what does a Roman cross have to do with sin? Or if Jesus was God, then why couldn't he just snap his fingers? Why did he have to die, right? So Jesus died for our sins doesn't quite answer those questions. 
So what I wanna do is I wanna look at what the Bible has to say about why Jesus died. And we wanna start in a very similar place to what that statement was in 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul summarizes the point of the crucifixion. And he says this, he says, Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. Now you may look at that and you think, okay, well that's, isn't that just what we said? Isn't that the, the statement in a vacuum? Except he ends with just as the scriptures said. And what this is, it's like a little thread. You start picking at it and it eventually unravels the whole sweater. Because Paul's talking about the scriptures, but let's think for a moment. When he's talking about the scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament, right? Because that didn't exist. I mean, he was the one who helped to write the New Testament. So when he's talking about the scriptures, he's talking about what we would call the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures, the, the, the entire storyline of the people of God, the Israelites and the, the Psalms and the prophets. That's what he's talking about. And he says that Christ died for our sins just as those scriptures said. So what we have to do is understand that, that for Paul, that, the Old Testament, that whole story is what gives Christ's death its meaning. And I don't think we're gonna understand the cross until we understand how it fits in that bigger story. So let's talk about that story in, in kind of a, a way that we haven't necessarily done for a while. There are two big key ideas that I would say are kind of the, the headlines for this entire story that leads up to Jesus on that cross. There are two ideas, blessings and curses. Blessings and curses. Let's talk about blessings first. Uh, blessing, I know it's kind of a churchy word, you know, we, we use it, hashtag blessed and all that, but blessing is a really important word to understand the Bible because blessed, being blessed, it's a way of describing um, wholeness, and, and abundance and, and peace and most of all, it's a way of describing God's presence with us. It's like, it's like life the way it was meant to be. You are blessed when all of those things are in, are in order. And from the very beginning of the story, you know, you look at Genesis, it's clear that God, he desires to bring his blessing to the whole world. He wants humanity to be blessed. That's his desire. And, and so basically that's what the whole Garden of Eden story is all about. Humanity, all of us, are meant to live an Eden kind of life where we are blessed, right? Where we are uh, God's children, God's representatives on the earth, you know, walking around spreading his creative life everywhere we go. We're meant to be nurturing the earth, right? Uh, naming, naming animals and just eating stuff off of trees and just having this, this abundant life. And we're meant to be caring for one another in relationship with one another, co-working together. Like that's the abundant creative life that we are meant to have as the uh, benevolent masters of the earth in, in God's name. That's what we're supposed to do. And all the while, as we live that life, God is walking among us, he is with us, he's, he's walking with us in the cool of the day. That's the blessing that we are meant to have. That's the blessing God wants us to have. But, and I've talked about this plenty of times, if you go through the story starting from that first little moment of blessing, things kind of go off the rails because humanity, we have different plans. Uh, we reject God's blessing and we kind of want to do things our own way. We're basically like, God, look, that all sounds great, but I think I know better than you do what's going to lead to an abundant life. So I'm going to do things my way and it doesn't take long for things to completely fall apart. But... God's not done yet at that point because he really wants humanity to have blessing. And so he chooses a people, uh, the descendants of a man named Abraham, 
to bring his blessing to the world. He, he says, this is gonna be the group of people that finally brings my blessing to everybody. Here's what he tells Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham's family, the, the Israelites, they were God's chosen instrument to bring humanity back to Eden, to, to the Eden of abundance and the Eden of peace and the Eden of, of God's presence, right? Blessing, that's what they were gonna do. But as you probably noticed in that, that statement to Abraham, in that same promise comes the possibility for people to be cursed, cursed. So what does it mean to be cursed? Well, I know that it's easy to think that, okay, well, this is simple. If, if, if blessing means God giving us good things, then being cursed must mean God zapping us or punishing us for doing bad things, right? Well, not exactly, because that's not really how the story plays out. Curses in the Old Testament, they're really more about the consequences of choosing something other than blessing. It's, like, it's more like us being condemned to get exactly what we want. That's what a curse is. For example, uh, this happens in the story, it happens in our lives. God offers us the blessing of enough, the blessing of enough, of knowing that we will always be provided for, uh, that he will always meet our needs. This is something he offers to us. But what do we do? We choose something other than that blessing. We pursue wealth, for example. We pursue wealth because we don't want enough. We want more than enough. We wanna meet our own needs. We don't wanna to have to rely on God. And so this becomes a curse for us because when you really give your life to pursuing wealth, it doesn't take long for, for us to become enslaved to money, to start doing what money tells us to do. Now we get the wealth we're after, you know, we, we, we go after it, we get the wealth, but suddenly money and possessions, which were meant to be instruments for us to help spread God's blessing around, suddenly they are calling the shots in our life. They become like gods ruling over us. You know how this goes because, because the pursuit of wealth, when you really are giving yourself to it, it becomes like a bottomless pit. Money has power over us now. And we are cursed, cursed by our own rejection of what God offered us. And now we can't escape the consequences, we're stuck. Or another example, God offers us the blessing of living in harmony with one another. That's, that's an offer of blessing that he gives us. Seeing others as our brothers and sisters and even serving them as they serve us. That's what he offers us. And yet, what do we choose to do? We wanna be better than others. We don't wanna serve them. We want them to serve us. We choose judgmentalism. We choose superiority and, and hatred and gossip. We go to all of that. And so guess what happens? We are cursed by that choice. We become slaves to the gods of bitterness and rage and pride and it is, you've seen it, people who get really into gossip and hatred and it is really hard to break free from their grasp, isn't it? You get cursed by that choice. Look, what I'm describing here is sin. It's sin. All sin is a rejection of the blessings of God. 
All sin is the rejection of the blessings of God. And the consequences of sin, the things that come about when we choose to reject God's blessing, the curse is enslavement to the powers of this world. The idols of greed and lust and power and all of them, they become our masters. And we look around and we realize that the gate to Eden is shut. When we reject God's offer of the blessing of life, Well, the consequence of that, the ultimate consequence, the the ultimate thing that these gods demand of us is death, death and ultimately separation from God, the presence of God. That's what the curse is all about, which is why when God gives his people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, when he gives them what's called the law of Moses, he makes it really clear what he wants them to do. In, In Deuteronomy, he says, today, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Choose life, choose blessings. That's what God wants for us. Well, as you can probably imagine, and as I've talked about again before, The Israelites did not choose life. That's not how the story goes. They didn't choose blessings, not the offer of blessings from God. Instead, they did just what everybody else around them was doing. They allowed sin to rule their lives and the consequences of that choice were disastrous. Not just for them, but for everybody. Remember, the Israelites are the ones that are supposed to bring God's blessing to the world and now they are under a curse. So how is everyone else gonna be blessed? It's a disastrous consequence. And as time goes on, here's what gets crazy. All these individual sins, people making these choices here and there and here and there, they start to add up bigger and bigger and they start to play off of one another and suddenly little s sins becomes big S sin. Sin as as a force, as a power in our world, it starts to gain strength. It starts to control people. It starts to control entire nations. All of a sudden, sin, this this big S, sin begins to spread from generation to generation. And with that spread of sin comes the curse. You've seen this, right? Many of you probably would say things that you struggle with in your life, like addiction or alcoholism or abuse or anger management or greed or whatever. I bet there's a really good chance that your parents struggled with those same things, isn't there? And I bet their parents struggled with the same things as well. Sin begins to go through generational cycles. Or, and here's another way that it plays off of itself, the sins that that you perpetuate against others, how often did they start when someone perpetuated that sin against you? Someone else expresses their choice to reject God's blessing in your life and suddenly you find yourself doing the same thing, don't you? Sin is in control. That's what happens in the Old Testament. Oh, and get this, this is what's crazy. And we don't think about this because we're so individualistic, but you look at the threads of the Old Testament and you realize sin is so much in control that, it begin, it, that certain of these idols, these powers of the world become uh, so strong that entire nations are ruled by them. And so you see these, these nations like Assyria and Babylon and, and Rome, they, they become completely dominant in the world. The consequences of sin The curse just seems to grow. And the people of Israel, God's chosen people to bring blessing to the world, they seem incapable of making that choice. 
Humanity was cursed. Humanity was cursed. It's like we were in quicksand and the spiral of sin had just gotten far too strong. We couldn't even choose blessing if we wanted to. And so death, the curse, separation from God had won the day. Let's pause for a moment right there. I know it's kind of dark. Let's pause right there though and just stay in that moment for just a second. I want us to think about our own lives. I want to think, think about our own lives because look, we have all experienced this in one way or another. We've all, we've all, first of all, we've all rejected God's offer of blessing at some point. Sin patterns in our life or selfishness or hatred or pride, right? We've all, we've all done that. And we've also had sin, uh, you know, the rejection of God's blessing lived out against us by other people. Abuse and greed and judgmentalism. It's all happened to us. And so, and we've, we've started it and others have started it. And what happens in our lives? We experience shame and guilt, and fear, and and despair. This is the the, the kinds of things that we find ourselves in. So I want you to just take a moment, uh, literally to think about specifically how you have experienced the curse of sin in your life. Whether you caused it, someone else caused it, how have you experienced it, how have you felt it? Take a second and just think specifically. The reason I want you to think about that is because it is our answer to the question, what if Jesus never died? As we're going to see in a moment, the death of Jesus dealt with the curse. His his death gave us the ability to choose blessing again, but if he never died, then the curse would be all that there is. What you just thought of, that would be the definition of your life. That is a sobering thought, isn't it? Can we just take a second and express our gratitude that we serve a God of unfailing love and faithfulness, a God of second chances like we talked about a couple weeks ago? How grateful are we that that was not the end of the story, that the curse did not define our lives? Amen. That's not where we are. And yet it could have been, and that's, that just humbles me. It humbles me. God was not content to let the story end with the curse. His whole point, the whole reason he created us was to bring blessing into our lives and into this world. And so, no, he was not done. He was not done. Death was never going to be the end of the story. But how do you deal with a curse that's this powerful? How, how, do you, how do you deal with gods who have enslaved humanity from generation to generation? How do you deal with the consequence of death? That seems pretty final. Well, this is a, a question that the prophets of the Old Testament wrestled with because they looked around and they thought there's, there's gotta be some path through this. There's gotta be a way to move forward. And what they started to do, they started to hear the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit began to, to paint a picture for them of what was coming. And they started to understand, okay, someone or something or some idea, something greater is needed to break this cycle, to to bring blessing back into the world. Someone greater was going to have to come along. And then this very odd idea got planted in their minds, this idea that one day a righteous Israelite, one person who actually chose blessing, 
would end the curse. And this was weird. And again, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. The Spirit began to make them realize that this person, this righteous Israelite, was going to end the curse by bringing the consequences of sin on themselves. Think about this, hundreds of years before Jesus, and they're starting to realize the only way forward is for someone greater, a person who is righteous, to bear the consequences of sin. This is how the prophet Isaiah put it. He said, this, this righteous Israelite was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him, and we looked the other way. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That right there was the hope that was ringing in the ears of the Israelites when the Old Testament came to an end. This is the vision that the, the prophets were beginning to understand and this, this story and this hope, this is what Paul meant when he said that Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. This is the story. Because guess what? Jesus was that righteous Israelite. By the way, this is why Jesus had to be a Jewish man because what was the whole point of the children of Abraham? They were here to bring blessing to the world. And so for that to happen, it was gonna have to be a descendant of Abraham who could actually bring an end to the curse so that God could bring blessing through them to the world. It had to be a Jewish man. And what about that thing about someone greater coming along? Well, Jesus was that someone greater. Why? <laughs> because he was the son of God. He was the divine entering into our world. Think about that. God loved us, loved humanity so much that he willingly took our curse on himself. Jesus was the embodiment of the self-giving love of God. And while he lived with us, he showed us what a life of blessing could actually look like. You look at the Gospels, look at his story. Jesus didn't just follow the law of Moses. He went way beyond it. Jesus didn't just not murder people. He loved his enemies. He didn't just act with justice. He actually lived out sacrificial compassion. He chose God's offer of blessing every single time. And what happened around him? Well, everywhere he went, Eden was springing up, wasn't it? abundance and blessing and life and healing and hope and peace everywhere he went. But then, then he chose to make the greatest single act of self-giving love in all of human history. He willingly went to the cross and he brought the curse of humanity, the, the consequences of our sin, our sins, little s sins and the big s sin that we collectively created, he brought it on himself so that we could be free of it. This is what Paul says in Galatians. He says, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on that cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Literally, literally the Greek says that he became a curse for us. 
Guys, the God of blessing, the one who created blessing in the first place, became a curse so that you and I wouldn't have to. It's wild. So think about this. Think about what happened in that moment on the cross, that original Good Friday. Jesus had spent his entire life rejecting these idolatrous gods of greed and lust and injustice and pride and power, all the gods that we were enslaved to. He rejected them. And yet, here he was offering up his life to them. He was saying, here's the, here's the consequence of sin. You guys can have it. What a prize, right, for these powers of our world. Imagine what they're thinking. They're salivating at the chance because here was the one person who hadn't, hadn't uh, earned the curse. He hadn't uh, rejected God's offer of blessing. And yet here he was ready to experience that final consequence. The idolatrous powers of our world, they gathered their strength. They, they, the sins of humanity began to pile up onto Jesus. They were ready to do their worst. Even Rome itself, the quintessential idolatrous empire, offered its instrument of torture for them to use. Here, you can use the cross. Everybody, all of the dark forces of our world gathered together in a single point, the body of Jesus on that cross. Death was standing ready because this was gonna be the end. All the dark forces gathered together into the body of Jesus on that cross to strike the finishing blow and do what? Keep humanity enslaved forever. This was gonna be it. Because on that, on that cross, Jesus became the curse. And then Jesus died. For a moment, it seemed like the curse had won. Jesus breathed his last and it was finished. But what the powers and the idols and the, the sins and the empires of this world did not realize is that by doing all of this, they had just signed their own death warrant. Because yes, they took Jesus down into the grave down into the tomb, but guess what? He didn't stay there, but they did. He walked out of that tomb and he locked the door behind him. The sins and the, the curses and the death of this world were now defeated at 6 p.m. on Good Friday. Now, they may not have realized it yet, but death was dead. The idolatrous powers had been shamed and stripped of their authority and the curse of humanity's rejection of God's blessing had finally been broken. It was over. Listen to this. Listen to this from Romans 8. So now, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, guess what? The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weaknesses of our sinful nature. And so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us so that the law would be fully satisfied. He did it by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Listen to this. If Jesus never died, if Jesus never died, then we would still today be trapped under the enslaving power of sin. All of our stories, every one of our stories would end the exact same way, in death once and forever. That would be the end of our story, the final price that sin demands. 
But we don't have to imagine that kind of world because it did happen. Jesus took the curse on himself so that you and I would not have to bear it. This is the good news. Sin has no power anymore. Generational curses can be broken now. We can live in freedom. We can finally choose God's blessing again. The curse is over. The curse is over. And this gets me jazzed, but the gates of Eden, they're open again. You and I, we can start to live an Eden kind of life, a blessing kind of life now, and we can start to spread it to others. But that, I'm going to tell you all about it next weekend. <laughs> Sorry, you got to wait. You got to wait. We're going to talk about the power of the resurrection. That's what Easter's all about. For now, though, what I want us to do, I want us to just spend a little bit more time letting the good news of what Jesus accomplished on that cross just wash over us. The end of the curse. I want us to think about that. In a few moments, we're gonna practice communion together. By the way, when, when we're singing this final song, if you're online or if you're here, you can take the, the elements whenever you're ready during that final song. But communion, this is an act of remembering. We take the bread, we take the cup, and they symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus. And we do this, we eat these to remember that we are now a part of what happened on that cross. Our sins, uh, the, the, the curse of our choices, they were put to death in Christ's body. This reminds us that we can live in freedom now because of his sacrifice, and that our bodies too will be resurrected with his to live in new creation, new Eden. God's blessings, his presence, all of the good things we talked about, living together as a community, together in Eden, that's what we get to experience. That's what the cross helped to accomplish. And this act of communion helps us remember it. But it's not just an act for us to remember. It's not. It's also a reminder to the powers of this world, the sins that are still desperately trying to cling to some last semblance of power in our lives. It's a reminder to them that their time is over. It's a, it's a message to the, to the uh, powers of this world when we take these elements that you have no power anymore. You are done. Lust, forget about it. You're, you're, you're gone. Greed, rage, violence, pride. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Shame, shame, you're done. I'm free of you. That's what this act helps us to remember. In Jesus' name, we are free. We are free. A few moments ago, we spent a little bit of time thinking about the ways that we've experienced the curse of sin. So as we take this bread and this cup together, I encourage you to think back to that idea, that thing that you were thinking about earlier, and just Remember the fact that on the cross, the curse died with Jesus. Think about that. Remember. God's grace and his self-giving love are far more powerful than your brokenness. Christ died for our sins, didn't he? Just as the scriptures said. And one final thought. If you are someone who's not following Jesus yet. You, you, maybe you're not sure if you believe all of this stuff and you just don't know. First of all, you don't have to take communion. You can gladly just not, not participate, totally fine. But here's what I would ask of you. In this time together, I would ask you to ask yourself something. Are you living in freedom right now? 
Are you living in freedom from the powers of this world? Another way of asking it, is your life filled with blessing? Is it, is it full of peace and abundance and joy? Does that define your life? If not, if not, please consider this. The door is wide open for you. Jesus took your shame, your brokenness, your sin, your curse on himself on that cross. He did that so that you can live free. Whether or not you believe it, it happened. It happened. Is it time for you to start living like that's true? Let's pray. Well, Father, um, I continue to just be absolutely humbled and blown away by all of this. This has been doing a number on me, God. Um, to think that your self-giving love is so extreme that you would be willing to, to, to take upon yourself the one thing that you don't deserve, the curse, that you would do that for us, it still boggles the mind. And yet, Father, I know this is a time for us to remember what you have done through the body of your son, Jesus, on that cross. And so, God, would your Holy Spirit please help us to grasp even just a, a, a taste of your infinite love and power, Father. Would you give us the, the, the hope that we need to know that the curse is over and that we can live in freedom. Father, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ who died for us. Amen.